Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. Great to be with you. And our theme here is moving toward the burning bush, moving toward the burning bushes God has placed in your life, not away from them. And I'm going to be sharing in just a few minutes an introduction to uh, this message Jerry and I gave a few years ago around this theme and uh, the theme of quit living someone else's life. Before I do, however, however, let me just mention this. Uh, One of the biggest issues we're facing today as pastors and leaders is not knowing the future and what it's going to be like post-COVID-19. The world we know uh, has drastically changed. And as a result, we too need to change with it and how we deliver and lead uh, in bringing the mission of Jesus uh, to the world in our ministries, our churches, our nonprofits, our organizations. And so we're headed into a, a you know whole new future. So we're hosting uh, an online event uh, called Emotionally Healthy Leadership One Day Livestream Experience on October 22nd. And I want to invite you to it. It's going to be a four-hour four uh, experience. And we're going to share three uh, formational practices or tools that uh, we're convinced uh, leaders must uh, develop to stay healthy, vibrant, and be able to multiply their uh, impact long term. And uh, so our goal is really to help you and your team uh, catch a fresh vision for this kind of leadership, this kind of discipleship uh, that our churches are going to need for the days ahead. So uh, it's October 22nd uh, until September 30th. The cost is $99. I want to invite you to go to emotionallyhealthy.org uh, to register and to get more information. That's emotionally, www.emotionallyhealthy.org. With that, uh, let me introduce uh, today's theme, Move Toward the Burning Bush. And uh, what we are entering the launching of a new year. Uh, I consider uh, I've always considered the launch of the school year, at least here in North America in September, kind of a launch of the new church year or ministry year as well. Uh, but obviously, this one is very different. We are confronted with enormous obstacles. And so we're going to look at Moses and his life uh, and be mentored by him. Uh, he's a fellow born into suffering, and we're going to pick him up in Exodus 3 at the age of 80. Uh, and he is facing uh, large challenges, everything from uh, 400 years of slavery uh, they've been in, living in uh, as a people, uh, Pharaoh being considered a god. He has a history of failure uh, in his life. Uh, that's his resume. He's old. He's 80. So he's uh, over age, we would say, from a human perspective. Uh, his congregation, the people of God, are uh, deeply formed in being Egyptian into a, a way of living that is counter to uh, what God wants, and uh, his family of origin also is no picnic either. Uh, And so uh, we see him as he's called by God to move towards a burning bush. Uh, He puts up all these excuses of why he's not the person to do it. And uh, God's got a unique life for him to live. He too too is unique and unrepeatable, and uh, just like you are. And God has deposited into you a distinct combination of gifts and preferences, as well as a temperament and personality. He's birthed you into a particular moment in history, in a specific part of the world, and God has crafted a personal destiny for you, each one of us. But living out our unique life is easier said than done. I love E.E. Cummings, the poet, who once wrote, it takes great courage to grow up and turn out to be 
who you really are. It takes great intentionality uh, and faithfulness to live out your destiny. And we see really that Jesus, the, the model of models of uh, his deep anchoring in the Father, uh, staying true to his life and his purpose, even though it was very brief on earth, but he finished the work the Father had given him to do. Uh, in the same way God calls us, he's got to work for you in your unique life uh, to wholeheartedly pursue, especially and even in the days we're living in uh, with all the upheaval going on around us. And the expectations and demands and even the, the false thinking we have inside of us can steer us off course. Uh, but God's calling us to a place of freedom, much like he called Moses here. And not only is it about your freedom, it really is about the f- setting free every body around you. So we'll talk about Moses, then Jerry's going to pick it up in the message and talk about uh, some core elements about uh, living our unique life, things like discovering our integrity, finding our inner rhythms, and setting healthy boundaries and letting go. So I pray God meets you uh, in this message you're about to hear. Uh, It's one of my favorites, and I pray it's a gift to you that you can then share and give to other people. So enjoy. Let's take it away. read as we begin in Exodus 3, um, verses 1 to 6. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And then the angel, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, It did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, that's the key phrase, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And then Moses said, here I am. Amen. Now, I love uh, many of the sayings of the Hasidic Jews, the Orthodox Jews that have written through history. And perhaps my favorite comes from uh, an ancient story that's been passed on for centuries by a famous rabbi called Rabbi Susia. And I've carried it around around our tendency to live out someone else's life and not our own. Our theme today is quit living someone else's life. Choose or allow God to choose your destiny. And here's the question that came to him. Rabbi Susia, when he was an old man, in the coming world, he, wrote, he said this, in the coming world, they will not ask me, he wrote, why were you not Moses? They will ask me, why were you not Rabbi Susia? In other words, why did you live the life that I gave you to live, says God? Why did you try to be somebody else? Moses, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Why didn't you just be yourself? It's very similar to Soren Kierkegaard, a great Christian, Danish Christian author. He said that the great calling in life is the will to be yourself. It is the great challenge to not be somebody else that's a fake and a pretend. Now, today's theme is, is really the, the final theme eight of uh, a climax of quit living someone else's life. Choose your destiny. And this is really a lifelong journey. This, you don't just do this once. This is your whole life, as whether you're a, a, a teenager or young adult, or, or you know, middle-aged, or a senior citizen, or even your 80s and 90s, you're, you're walking out this journey of quit living someone else's way of doing this stage of your life, and you choose to embrace your destiny in God. 
And uh, so this is lifelong. And, and this series is really about relationships, right? It's about, it's, 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 it's the reason I, I love calling it quit. Now, I know it's the name of Jerry's book. We called it a radical title, I quit, because it is radical that we quit doing relationships the way the world does, our culture does them, and maybe our families of origin. And we actually choose to do it God's way. But it is a radical, sharp, decisive moment for all of us through our lives to quit unhealthy behaviors that do not belong in the kingdom of God. And so you can't separate, however, this relational dynamic from, of course, our relationship with God. And, um, you know, you can't separate your personal walk with God from living in community. We're always alone together. That's why, as one poet wrote, to live unfaithfully to yourself is to do other people great damage. And so today, this message really is about integrity. Uh, it really is a tremendous summary of all the other quits, uh, about being congruent, that you are the same person on the inside that you are on the outside, and the outside and the inside. And that to quit living your own life flows from a deep place, from the center of your being, about who you are. You don't do it because it's strategic. You don't do it because you're going to make a lot of money or expedient. You do it because it's right. We're talking about coming to a place in God, as we said in the very first message, I cannot not do this, regardless of the costs. And I must live out this unique life that God's put on me and walk it out. And really, I could have, we could have chosen so many biblical characters because it's, it's all through Scripture. I mean, Daniel, I mean, David taking off Saul's armor, right, or dancing before the ark, even though he's being criticized and, and mocked by his own wife. Or you think of, of Esther, the courage of Esther to embrace her life living in a time of Persia in the kingdom. You think of people like Isaiah, Ezekiel, that whole series within the prophets. Every one of them had to quit living somebody else's life and embrace their destiny as the prophets and, and go a path that was really quite radical. Same thing with people like, think of Jesus, define the expectations that everybody had for his life. From family to crowds to disciples to the religious environment, everybody had a life they had scripted for Jesus. And he was able to hear the Father's voice and live out his unique life. Same thing with, I think, of Peter last week in that series on Acts 10. He was able to embrace what the Father had for him and walk it out, but he quit living somebody else's life about what it was going to mean to be a first-century Christian Jew. And he broke a whole new path that God had for him. And so, in some ways, today is all about making Rosa Parks' decision, which was our opening illustration, uh, of not sitting, when she sat in the front of the bus, and that I cannot not do this regardless of what happens to me. So today we're going to be mentored by Moses. And I chose Moses because Moses is a tremendous example of someone who had large obstacles coming against him from many, many angles to not live what God had for him. And so we watch his struggle, we watch the pressure on him, and we watch also how he broke through. And there's some great instruction there for us. So I want to pick it up and give you a little bit of context uh, in that, you want to add anything, honey? That's good. That's good. That's a good sign. Moses, and some of you will relate to this, was born into suffering. He was an orphan and born into a slave family, thrust into a basket, thrown into the Nile River, which was kind of like today the equivalent of being left on in a basket in front of an orphanage. And uh, as you know, gets picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. And, and so he's raised in, in Egypt as an orphan, adopted. And at the age of 40, uh, he murders somebody in trying to do good. He takes the law into his own hands. And for then 40 years, he ends up living in a desert in another country called Midian, present-day Saudi Arabia. He's humiliated. Uh, and what's interesting is, for many of us here in this room, Moses is a very multicultural person. 
He, he's Jewish. He's, he's, he's Hebrew. He's African. He's Arab. So he's got tremendous multicultural skills which got, and background that God's going to use. And so now at this point, we're picking up the story. He's 80 years old. And his career, we would say, has gone nowhere. I mean, he's had wonderful training and a lot of education, a lot of potential, but basically it looks like it's all been a waste. And so now at 80 years old in this desert, uh, God calls him. And that's where we're going to pick it up. And uh, in, in verse 1, you've got verse you know, 1 to 3, he's there shepherding. And the, it's interesting, he's, at this, he's, called, he's, on, he's on the far side of a mountain. He goes to a place called the mountain of God. So Moses is clearly walking with God. He's got a relationship with God. He's drawn to God. He's on the back side of the desert, which is basically an invisible, anonymous, obscure place. He's not, he's not in the front of Time magazine. But God meets him there. and He's looking clearly to have some encounter with God. And um, he sees this burning bush that's not burning up, but he sees the flame. And I want you to catch this. And, you know, verse 2, an angel of the Lord appears to him in this flame of fire and from within a bush. And he sees the bush. And he makes a decision in verse 3. He thinks, I will... Go over and see this strange sight. That's the key moment. He, he makes a decision to move towards God or towards this bush, this angelic figure here. And, and versus just move away, like this is crazy. This doesn't fit, fit in my life. I don't know what's going on. He chooses to move towards it. As he moves towards that bush, God speaks to him and says his name twice, Moses, Moses. So you want to hear your name today. Ivan, Ivan. You know, Shirley, Shirley. You know, Emma, Emma. You know, Ken, Ken. You want to hear your name, that God speaks your name. And he hears that, and it launches him here on, the, on this journey. And, and so God had put seeds in Moses, just like he's put seeds in you. And first he put seeds in Moses, obviously for a relationship with him. And God's put seeds in you that you might know Jesus. You created the image of God, it was put in you. But there's also seeds of your destiny that God's put in you. And that part of that destiny is coming to know Christ. But God has a place and a, a plan and a script and a, for your life here on earth. And and uh, he created you from your mother's womb. There's nobody like you. We like the word, Jerry and I, you're unrepeatable. You really are unrepeatable. There, there's nobody with your unique combination of talents and personality and passions and preferences and temperament and gifts and history and your family, your unique hurts and pains and vulnerabilities and blunders. And the unique time and place, and you were born into history. I mean, there's just, you're unrepeatable. And, and these seeds that God put in you from birth of your destiny in life, they, they are meant to be watered and, and to be nurtured. And they're, they're foundations that God's going to use. But I like, I like and, and so, when, and part of that plan of that seed is that you would come into a relationship with Jesus. They would meet him and begin that relationship as a key part of you becoming the person God's called you to be. And then God takes residence inside of you. Colossians 1.27. He actually, the God of the universe, in the person of the Holy Spirit, then actually lives inside of you. To enable you to live your destiny. That's the great power of the gospel. He removes your sin, comes to live in you to set you free. And then, it's like, I like, I like a Parker Palmer's got this great illustration. Your life and, and the destiny of your life, you're, you're like a little bird. In, in, in a hand, and, and you're a little bird that's like come out of a tree, and very tender and fragile. That this destiny, this life that God's given you to live, can be crushed by so many forces. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it, it's very precious, and that bird is meant to fly. That bird is meant to grow. That bird is meant to flourish. But it's a very fragile little bird, and almost like in a person's hand. That, that's, that's our lives as we're growing up. And, and so, here's Moses, his unique life. I mean, 80 years old, and now God is in, 
inviting him to go up against Pharaoh, and uh, who was the superpower of the day in Egypt, uh, take two to three million people with them on a journey and lead them to the promised land uh, out of slavery. Now, so just, just, we want the enormity of what it means for him to quit living somebody else's life and to embrace God's destiny for him. Friends, the obstacles are just, they're, they're a little overwhelming. But I want to just lay them out for you so you can uh, look at them and hopefully, you know, relate to them a little bit. I mean, first he's got, because really, actually, ultimately behind every obstacle are powers and principalities of hell, Ephesians 6.12. Always remember that. There, there are demonic powers and principalities that do not want you to be the person God's called you to be and want to crush you. And so, first of all, Moses has his whole society and culture. I mean, 400 years they have been enslaved by the Egyptians. That is a long time. They are the superpower, Egypt, of their day, economically, politically, militarily. They are, the, the Egyptian, the, Egypt has repressed and suppressed Moses and his people for hundreds of years. Life has been unbearable. No options. In addition, Pharaoh was considered a god. In, in ancient Egypt, Pharaoh was worshipped. And, and so, you've heard the word fusion. There was a, there were, you were to do God's will by, you, you know, the gods. Pharaoh is God. You do, all the people are to do his bidding. Whatever Pharaoh wants, that's it. You're a slave. That's your destiny. That's it. He speaks and it's done. And it's almost like, in, if you remember World War II, the, in Japan, the emperor was like a god. And so, there was, the, the folks were doing kamikaze missions because they were one with the emperor. It's like they're one with Pharaoh. There, there is no separateness. You are Pharaoh's will and desires. And so Moses is born, I mean, he's raised in this culture. Everybody's living that way. That's the society, is your, this is it. And then he's got, you know, his, his failures. I mean, the guy is a felon. He's committed a murder. Some of you may have prison records. And uh, imagine every time he goes to a job interview, murderer, you know, check that box. And, uh, you know, he's a has-been. Uh, he's made such mistakes with his life. And how many people can relate to that? You've got the big F for failure over your resume. And I have to say, I've got a PhD in mistakes, you know. And then he's, his age is a problem. He's 80 years old. I mean, he's just too old for this. He's been doing nothing for 40 years. You think you have a gap in your resume. 40-year <laughs> gap. And uh, just so it's one thing, I'm, I'm waiting on God. You know, I'm 40, I'm 43, I'm 47, I'm 48, you know, I'm 59, I'm... I'm 63, I'm 74. I mean, I mean, it's a long time to be, to be out there in a desert tending sheep. And then basically his church or his community is not encouraging him either. I mean, no one's saying, hey, Moses, go for it. I mean, basically they oppose him constantly, complaining to him, grumbling. They want to kill him, his own people. So he's got that opposition as well. And then his family of origin, which really, you know, he was raised in Pharaoh's family. Do you understand? That, that's like his adopted family. So I don't know, we don't know if Pharaoh, the one who's Pharaoh right now is his stepbrother, but he knows the whole family dynamic. And he's going to rock the boat in such a way, they are not going to be very excited campers about this. And it has rightly been said that the largest influence on our lives is probably our parents and caregivers in terms of voices that we carry inside of us. And, um, you know, some of you may have known this book. Uh, it was written recently. Uh, it was called Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. It was written, when, it, when it came out, um, it caused quite a bit of controversy. It came out a few months ago. But um, I, I read it. I, I kept saying I'm going to read it in preparation for this message. But, um, it, and I understand why she's received death threats for it. 
Uh, she's a Yale law professor, and um, she basically contrasts Chinese parents now, you know, and uh, Western parenting. And she says some things in there that are so intense and so aggressive that people have wanted to kill her. Uh, but I can tell you this, she has sold a lot of books. Uh, but here's the kind of thing. She talks about raising her two daughters, Sophia and Lulu. And uh, she says, Sophia and Lulu were never allowed to attend a sleepover, have a play date, be in a school play, complain about not being in a school play, watch TV, never play computer games, never choose any extracurricular activities, get any grade less than an A, not be number one in every, stu- stu- in every subject except gym and drama, play any instrument other than piano or violin, and then never not play the piano or violin. And she writes about things like, you know, nothing's negotiable. Your parents are your parents. You owe, you owe everything to them, even if you don't. And, and as a parent, you have to do everything for the, your kids, even if it destroys your life. And she goes, sometimes I wake up in the morning dreading what I have to do, to have to stay home and scream and have my kids hate me. But it's interesting, you know, she wants, you know, she, and, and she writes about it's not just Chinese parents. It's, it's Nigerian parents. It's found in every culture, not just, and I, I know my mother was not a tiger. She was a bear, you know. <laughs> She would say, I'll kill myself if you don't live this way. And uh, because my choices were such a reflection on her that to not do what she wanted, she threatened to kill herself. And so the idea of distinguishing her will and my will was quite challenging. So the idea of quitting to live your own life was absurd. So many of you can relate to that. And uh, a very interesting book. But Moses, too, understand, came from a family of origin that there were no choices for him. This is the way it was going to be. So do you understand, for him to break out of society culture, um, his age, his failures, his family of origin. But the real issue for all of us is not these external factors. That's the killer. And Moses has a lot of external factors here coming against them. It's the internal ones. It's the internal fear that paralyzes us from change. And, uh, you know, many scholars have written about Genesis 3, that the root of the root, of, the root of sin is we rebel against God. But scholars have written about, but the root sin of why we rebel against God is we're afraid. We fear trusting in his love. And out of that fear, we take things in our own hands. Interesting thought. But I want to quit living someone else's life. The core issue is the fear that if I step out and do this, I could get killed. And absolutely for Moses, he could get killed for this. This was civil disobedience. And so like Moses, God comes to us. He speaks to us out of burning bushes. You're here in this room. and And so what we have now that follows one and a half chapters of excuses when God says, comes to Moses, so here's what happens. Here's the text. God says, Moses, Moses. And then Lord, God tells him, this is your destiny. I want, this is your next step. And then Moses begins a series of excuses. You know, he begins with, in, in chapter 3, and I'm just going to summarize them for you. You can read it on your own. It begins by saying, I can't do this. You know, I'm inadequate. You know, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and uh, bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I mean, it's just me. And, uh, you know, he's just struggling to, lead, you know, struggling to tend a few sheep. He's basically saying, I have no experience, I'm nobody important. But he looks at himself, he looks at Pharaoh, he understands the risks. This is civil disobedience. He could get killed. It's dangerous for everybody. And uh, God's answer to him is so simple. God says, I will be with you. That's it. Uh, Who Moses is, is not the question. The question is, who's with Moses? And over a hundred times in the Old Testament, God says, I will be with you. That's his answer. I'll be with you when you say I can't. And so Moses has to go forward in faith. That's it. I'll be with you. And as he follows, God unfolds the plan. But he's got to take that first step. His second excuse is, I don't know enough. 
in verse 13 of chapter th- 3, he says, he says what, they're going to ask me, what's God's name? They're going to ask me questions like, God, what are you about? And why are the pygmies in Africa? And those who don't know Christ? And what about suffering in the world? And I don't know, I've not been to Bible school. And, and, then, and God just says, don't worry. I am who I am. You'll get the revelation you need when you need it. You just go. And then his third excuse is, uh, I will not have their respect. I mean, the people I'm asking to follow me, they, 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 they're not, they don't respect me, and they're not going to want to come. And, and uh, you know, basically, God's answer is, you know, nothing. You know, I'll, I'll take care of that too. And number four, he says, I don't have the gifts needed. I, I love this. He says in chapter 4, verse 10, I want to read it to you. He says, oh, Lord, in chapter 4, verse 10, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And uh, literally, he's saying I'm heavy-lipped and thick-tongued. And scholars don't know. It's the fact that he, he's not a good speaker, which may be possible. He just wasn't a gifted speaker. But other scholars write that it may be that he's carrying such shame that he can't even talk from his past. And we're not sure quite what it is. But God says, don't you worry about that. And I love what God says in verse 11. Who gave man, the Lord says to him in verse 11 of chapter 4, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now you go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And then he says, I'll send Aaron, he'll help you out, and Aaron will speak for you, and blah, blah, blah. So he's got all, and finally, you know, it's like, you know, I don't have all the gifts needed. You know, God, I'm not smart enough. And, and I can see Moses saying, I'm 80 years old. There are young Jews who are smart and gifted. Uh, they're more mature. They know the promised land, you know. And I, I can just, I can just, there's so many more qualified people. I can see Moses saying, I am not the person. This is not a good idea. And... Uh, because what happens, every time we think about stepping out and moving out, we don't see God. What we begin to see is all of our flaws. I begin to look and say, all my sins, and we get very insecure. And we get very afraid, and we decide, I think I better just play it safe. And I'll stay right where I am. And we forget the upside-down kingdom, that the whole nature of the kingdom of God, it's the opposite of the world. God chooses the weak to confound the strong. And he takes people like Peter, James, and John, who were fishermen, who were uneducated, who couldn't even get into rabbinical school, and he makes them the head of the whole church. He takes Matthew, a tax collector, who wasn't even allowed to attend the synagogue, couldn't give a testimony in court because he was such a liar, and he makes him one of the apostles. He takes Doubting Thomas and makes him one of the twelve and sends him to India, but he does everything upside down, and it's no different with you or me. It's always been like that. That's the way God works, and we just have a hard time like, I don't have the gifts. And God says, you don't get it. It's not about you. It's about me. And I'll be with you. And then finally, his last excuse in chapter 4, verse 13, he basically says, no, (laughs) please send somebody else. And, uh, you know, and then it says God gets upset. Interesting. And uh, I have such a new appreciation for Moses and Jesus and what it meant for them uh, to quit living someone else's life and live their own life. Um, I, I feel like I'm really still in process. It is such a journey for me to not live other people's lives. When you really try and do it, you find out how difficult it is. Um, but for me, a lot of times it begins with knowing who I'm not. Like, I realize, oh, I'm not that, or I'm not this. 
And so a lot of times the negative assertions actually come before really discovering who I am so that I'm not living someone else's life. But I would say the biggest factor, the biggest obstacle for me was um, really being afraid of what others think. And all the I quits are birthed out of that. For me, I had a really quit. And of course, still being on a journey of that, quitting, being afraid of what others think. Um, and of course, I had to then quit lying. If you lie, you are definitely living someone else's life. When we die to the wrong things, we're living someone else's life. When I deny my emotions, especially anger, sadness, fear, and all the rest, I'm definitely living not my life. If I'm denying those things in me, I'm not living my life. I'm living someone else's. <clears throat> Certainly when I'm blaming, if I'm, when I'm in blaming mode, I'm giving away power. And saying, you're responsible for my life, not me. I'm certainly then not, I'm certainly living someone else's life when I'm blaming. And I'm living someone else's life definitely when I'm over-functioning. Because I'm pouring all my energy uh, into this other person or persons that really I need to be using that energy to pour into my own life and what God has called me to do. And of course, faulty thinking. So all the I quits. I mean, if I'm not, if I'm doing those, and if I don't quit those, I'm definitely not living my life. I'm living someone else's. But along with those, and the part and parcel to that are the other big expectations and values that surround me. Big pressures. I have my family scripts that are inside of me. And um, so, for example, for the past 15 years, my family has really seen me change. They've seen significant change in me since we got on this journey <clears throat> of emotionally healthy spirituality. But I was reminded yesterday of still how much this is in me. Um, I did a retreat in New Jersey for a gathering of women, and my sister was there. Now, and it was my older, one of my older sisters so although my family has seen the change that has taken place with, with, within me, I was aware of my inhibitions having my sister present because this was a whole new level of her experience of me as a teacher, as a presenter, the, the, the depth, the breadth that she was going to be exposed to. And... Um, as I was aware of my inhibitions, I'm fighting off my little sister mentality. I have I suffer from little sister syndrome. I know my place in the pecking order of my family. And um, as a matter of fact, at one of the breaks, I heard her say to someone, "Yes, um, that's my little sister." And then I heard her correct herself and say, "I mean, my younger sister." But our scripts live in us, and we need to continue to, to be aware of those. Because uh, if I live that script of little sister syndrome, believe me, I will not become who God has called me to be. And that's not my family's issue. That's my issue, being able to accept my own changes and my own uh, ways of being and gifts that God has now allowed me to experience and grow into. Culture, second one is culture. We're surrounded by the pressure of culture not to grow into our true selves, our true life, 
I remember when my kids were in New York City public school systems. I was so aware. There would be days and I'd go, wait a minute, there's something wrong with this picture. These people are controlling our whole family's lives. We were on their schedule and their demands and their priorities and their values. But I was aware that I had to be aware of what I wanted to do, what I didn't want to do, according to what the education system was saying. And then, of course, social media. How much up do I have to be on social media? How much time do I have to do this and do that? Or money. What does this culture say about how much money we should make or what gadget we should have or what fashion we should have, etc.? What makes me acceptable? I've got that pressure coming at me. And, of course, church culture. Believe me, it wasn't easy for a pastor's wife to quit the church. Church, that was not in the church culture handbook. And, um, and then, of course, Pete and his disapproval. What, and his, and when I quit the church, I had the pressure of his disapproval, his embarrassment. Where are we going to go if he loses his job? And finally, I don't like rocking the boat. So I'll just settle into everybody else's expectations, values, and scripts for myself. So for me, what it has meant to break free, and this is description, not prescription. I'm sure you can add to this. But for me to break free in an ongoing way, I have to first, I have to continually discover Jerry Scazzaro's integrity. And what I mean by that is, what are my values? See, the big challenge when we come into adulthood is that our parents' values become our expectations. Okay, so they had values, and now they expect us. Those, they kind of become the expectations of our lives. But now as I come into adulthood, I'm in adulthood, I have to re-examine the expectations that were my family's values. Because now, although they're their expectations and their values, they might not be my present values. So, for example, my family has, you know, we have this annual Christmas party for years and years and years and years. The whole extended family goes every Saturday, the first week in December. And that's a value of my mother's, and I will have to say, an expectation that we go. But as I examined that expectation of her value, I realized it's not mine now as an adult. I love my family and I participate in lots of activities, but I realize it's not my value that I have to be at that event every December. And that's okay. It doesn't may make her sad, and it, but doesn't make her bad and it doesn't make me bad. But we have to continue to, to say, what are my values as a person? What is important to me? And we've got to critically look at why we do what we do. And is this left over from something in the past? We're just doing what, you know, people expect us to do? Or is this now a value that I personally and individually hold? And that God is calling me to hold. And then secondly, I need to listen to my rhythms. The, uh, do we have, we don't have our rule of life up yet, but you know, we have our, our rhythms here in New Life, work, study, prayer, and relationships. Pete and I have really different rhythms in the way we rest. We have different rhythms in the way we work. And it's such a challenge for me to live my rhythm in the way I work. Most of the time, I live his rhythm. And then I pay for it. And again, it's not his problem. It's not his issue. 
Um, and um, it's mine. I have to keep stepping off his treadmill and get on my own. But my, I have to keep listening to my rhythms. I believe the rhythms of our our personhoods and our true selves and our true lives are in the cells of our body. And each of us have different rhythms in our cellular biology, and we've got to pay attention to those. Uh, and then thirdly, I need to set boundaries. And that's so that I respect my limits. If I'm going beyond my limits, I'm not only being unfaithful to myself, I am going to cause you damage too. You know, I have limits. I am not all things to all people. Uh, and uh, I'm not superwoman. And I also have to uh, be careful that I don't overfunction. Okay, and then finally, um, I need to let go of others. So the same thing that I want, you know, I want to, I want to unhook from the expectations of family and culture, et cetera, et cetera, and spouse, so that I can be faithful to the life God has called me to be. At the same time, I must respect that for others too. I, I don't want to impose my expectations on others and expect them to do life the way that I do it. Matter of fact, I want to help them discover their own unique life. And uh, again, all of these things, really the goal for me is this is how I am going to love well. Uh, this is the best way that I am going to land in that place where I love myself well, I love others well, and I love God well with this gift of this life he has given me. That's great. To really look at in verse 4, I mean, if you want to see really for Moses, the, the key thing for us, how do, I, how do I move through this? And really for Moses, it was he moved towards, not away from that burning bush. And it's that, that movement is where I want to close with today about how do I quit living someone else's life and, and do this journey of, and that's choose your destiny is really not the correct one. It's really more you say yes. You, you're invited by God to a destiny. And we say yes to it. But that's really the process. We don't choose it. God, God initiates with us. You're not here because you said, I felt like going to church today. Yeah, part of it. But God was initiating with you from a, a long time ago. You're here because you said yes because by the grace of God you're here. But here, if you look at Moses, his, his whole life is one. He's, he's called a friend of God. And he moves towards the burning bush. But that's the pattern of his life. Whether it's trying to go to the mountain of God and Mount Horeb. We see him meeting with God in a tent of meeting. We see him going up to Mount Sinai. But his whole life, he is moving towards God, not away from God. And it's in that place of the perfect love of God where his fears are cast out. Remember, it is fear that keeps us from breaking through. Perfect love, it says in 1 John 4, cast out fear. And... Um, uh, to enter into God's destiny, that's what he needed. I, I often wonder, how did Jesus deal with all the pressure to not live out his unique life? And the only answer is his oneness with the Father. His union with the Father. The incredible relationship with the Father he models for us. That, friends, is the power and the strength. That's the only place that I can get it today, you can get it today, and we can walk this thing out. It is out of that intimacy, that, that, one, that oneness. For me... Um, Moses said, I can't, you know, I, but sometimes like when you say I, I can do certain things, but it doesn't mean God, God's calling you to do life that way. I can be a pastor like, and I did it for years trying to be a pastor like everybody else. And I was being, I could do it, but it wasn't what God had for me. I can make new life like this other great church in Manhattan or Brooklyn or the Bronx, but God called me to be me at new life. That was very challenging. 
because I felt so inadequate and I could hear those voices. You don't know what you're doing. And then I also had to learn some things I'd never done before. And I could hear those voices. You can't do that either. And so it's, there's some things I choose, like in the Philippines, you choose I'm not going to do it a certain way. I'm going to be who God made me to be. So stripping off those false layers is, and choosing that destiny continually is core. So let me close with this. I want to invite the worship team to come on forward, and I want us to do an exercise. You are, the New Testament takes this theology of, of Moses being called, and it, it, it develops into a full-fledged calling in the New Testament. And that is the moment you become a Christian, you are a called out one. You are in the full-time ministry. Remember we did a series on that two years ago. Your whole life is you are called by name. Moses, Moses, Ken, Ken, Shirley, Shirley, Susan, Susan. Paul even speaks to slaves who have the worst job in the world that time. He says, you are called by God. You have a destiny from God. And that's why we had this saying, I'm in full-time ministry and I'm retired. I'm in full-time ministry and I am a beautician or work for Social Security. Jesus died, rose again, sent the Holy Spirit to live within us, friends. So we don't have to live by other people's approval. We don't have to get other people's validation to tell us, okay, the gospel is you are okay. I love you, says the Lord. And uh, you've got nothing left to prove. And so with that... You know, God's crafted a, 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 a future for you and a life for you. And you've had all these experiences. And so, I, I, and your life is a gift. So I want you to look at this verse one more time. And I want to do a, just a one-minute exercise or two minutes with us today. Because it takes courage to quit living somebody else's life. This is a very courageous way to live. And, uh, but you've got to move, and I've got to continually move towards that burning bush towards the living God and not away from him. It's such a radical journey. So you see that verse there from Exodus 3? Moses says, I will go over and see this strange sight. And maybe you've had some strange things happen to you in your life. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had, Lord saw that he had gone over, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. So... I want to invite you, you may want to close your eyes, and I'm going to just lead you through like a one or two minute Lectio Divina together. And think of whatever is happening in your life right now, events and traumas and difficult circumstances or divorces or betrayals or unemployment, and whatever. I want to invite you first. Moses says, I will go over and see this strange sight. I want to invite you to go over and move towards God now in the midst of your, all your circumstances. And say, I will go over and look. So, Lord, I, I come and look to you. <clears throat> And now with your heart open, I want you to listen as you move towards God. He speaks your name lovingly, tenderly. And I want you to hear your name, Pete, Pete, whatever your first name is. Hear God speak your name 
over you. And then finally, I want to invite you to pray and say like Moses, here I am. If your hands folded up towards heaven, here I am. Great response of Moses, here I am. So here we are, Lord. Amen. Let's all stand. I want you to get a picture right now as we close of a, of a prison door. Because Jesus died, rose again from the dead, sent the Holy Spirit to basically open up a prison door that we might be set free. That's the whole reason he came. The Holy Spirit might come live within us. That prison door has been opened. That's, that's the gift of salvation. But we have to walk through that door. That's our choice. He doesn't force us. He didn't force Moses to do anything. It was an invitation to a destiny. And so as we close here, we've got the Lord's table to your right, and I invite you to come and eat and drink of Christ and partake of communion. Prayer teams, I want to invite you to come forward. And I want to invite you uh, to move towards God today as we close. And some of you need to come for prayer because you are, it's like something on you. And you know there's a specific area or step you've got to take, and you need power from heaven. And that's why we pray for each other. That's the great power of prayer. That's the great power of worship. That's the great power of being together. So our prayer teams will be up here, and I invite you to come. But I, but I want, want you to see yourself as walking out of a prison door that Christ has purchased for you. He is greater than Moses, and he has defeated the evil one, and he is bringing us to a real promised land. But we choose to walk out those doors and, and follow that, not just a one-time moment but for life so you may be at a moment in your journey today is your day to take another step and you come all right and then we'll close all right so i invite you to kind of bow your heads and put your palms up if you'd like towards heaven i want to speak a blessing over you and we'll be dismissed and our prayer teams will be here towards the front and so may god's love be poured out over you. May his face shine upon you. May he flood you with such a deep sense of his love and that you're safe and that you don't have to be afraid. And may God fill you with courage, courage from the Holy Spirit to actually get up and walk into the journey he has for you. And may you know May you know in the heart of your hearts, the depth of your depths, that your God is for you and that he is with you and that there is nothing to fear. So go and may your life be a great gift to many. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless everybody. Have a good day.